Welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. And oh man, you are in for a treat today with one of my good friends and former business partner, actually, Robert Fish. And uh, his story is one of the most inspiring personal stories of an entrepreneur that I know. And I know a lot of good ones. Um, but you'll understand more of that uh, as we dive into his story. And as you know, if you've been listening to these podcasts, you know that we, one thing that is more typical of how we start this is with a question about the person's why versus all their accolades. And we'll get into the accolades and his accomplishments later on. But um, actually, Robert was the reason and he was the inspiration for this question. We did this at a uh, seminar that both of us were conducting a couple years ago, and I just loved it uh, because it changed the room so quickly from people kind of beating their chests about what they've done, and it got right to the heart of the matter of like, what's important to that person? So, Robert, you already know where I'm going with this. I think I do. Question. <laughs> so, you and Steph are probably at like, let's say the pinnacle, uh, you know, club or something at a marina somewhere that um, you're walking and, and you're sitting on an outdoor uh, dining facility, enjoying the sunset by the water. And you walk past a table and they're talking about you. What is it that you would love to have heard them say about you and they didn't know that you were within earshot? Right. Great question. So I think um, hearing folks talk about me, kind of the background, what I would love to hear most would be, you know, that Robert guy is very insightful. So whenever I, if I'm stuck, I have an issue, um, he helps me think through things. He helps me see other options because oftentimes as people, we, we get fixated on our own options. And sometimes he helps me figure out what are some other options that we could be thinking about. Um, another word that comes to mind for me is, um, like, you know, he's very dependable, very consistent. So over, I need Robert whenever I call Robert whether it tomorrow or two years from now, or, you know, 10 years ago, I get the same Robert fish. I don't get a different version of him, And it's the same person all the time. Very transparent, very open, just really kind of dependable person. When I need some help and I don't want judgment, who do I want to call? I'm going to call Robert. I know I can depend on him for giving me a good solid answer. And then, Oh, the last thing I would um, love to hear is maybe the word confidence. And what I mean by that is that when I'm talking to Robert or working with Robert, um, he makes me feel kind of walking away more confident than begin the conversation. That he helps me make sure that I know what's going on. I see my options and uh, I'm walking away just feeling more confident. And I think confidence probably, Gary, you know this for me, I have these words of the year. Like last year was simplify my word of, of for this year is confidence because so many people, entrepreneurs in particular, the whole our world has been rocked a little bit. So we can reinstill some confidence. That's a huge thing right now. Wow. I love all of those descriptors and they are a hundred percent accurate in my experience with you over the last few years. So uh, thank you. It's been an awesome privilege to actually know you, work alongside you, see you in action and learn from you. So I'm excited that the rest of the listeners get to actually hear a little bit more into your soul. And yeah. so Ben, I'll let you kind of take it forward. Yeah. And, and even before I get into your background at all, I find it interesting that as you're talking about what you want to hear people say, and then you talk about confidence, it's not even about yourself. It's how you're pouring into other people, right? Like right. you want, you want them to associate you with helping others become more confident. And, and talk about setting the tone for the rest of the conversation of where your focus lies, right? Of how you're impacting other people, not everything being egocentric of, of how they view you. It's how they view you helping other people, which I, I think is extremely interesting. So yeah, you picked up on that. So yeah, it wasn't really what I wanted to hear about myself. Yeah. What I wanted to hear is how I impacted them as a, as a person. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what we're really yeah, which is extremely unique to, uh, to a lot of the answers we've received with that question. So, so I wanted to point that out real quick because that, that hit me. Um, all right. So for the listeners, let's give, you the, give everybody the quick short version of your bio. So Robert's the founder and CEO of Insight CXO, which provides business strategy coaching for mid-market companies that are ready to scale. 
He's also the author of The Breakaway Move. Uh, he became a pro mountain bike racer uh, a little bit later uh, than I think most people would would tend to go in that direction. So he's racing at nationals against a bunch of 20-year-olds that we'll, we'll dive into that story. Mm -hmm. in. And um, between where he is now and going back to the very beginning, he founded his first company while still in college. And that's where I want to begin. So, so Robert, let's go back to that first company. Give everybody a brief description of kind of the process of getting that up and running at such an early age. Well, I think, you know, the important thing there is going back to my college days, I was president of my fraternity. And the story is, you know, we had a $40,000 year social budget and we had a $2,000 technology computer budget. And back then PCs cost about $3,000 to, to, to buy. So I talked to some alumni and I found a way to build a computer for $1,500. So I got one built for our fraternity house. And then some alumni came to me and said, Hey, can we, can we, uh, basically hire you to help build computers for our company. And that's kind of how the company started. But I think the big story there is something I actually learned back in high school, um, had a neighbor that was restoring Model A Fords. And I remember in his driveway one day and uh, he offered to teach me how to paint some of these parts on the Ford. And I was terrified and I said, no. And he really jumped on me. He said, son, don't ever turn down the opportunity to, to learn something when somebody's willing to teach you. And it just, it just shocked me. So what happened was when I had these alumni who were in college who were willing to teach me how to build a computer, I just jumped all over it and it became a business. So that's a theme I've used my whole life is somebody's willing to teach you something, it opens up your horizons. And that's really how the, the company got started. I look back on it now, uh, Ben, and I'm fascinated. I couldn't imagine starting a company without Google. I mean, I just even how I even did it. But I started building PCs on, on a credit card and just got some flow going, ended up uh, moving the company to Charlotte, I was in Raleigh at the time, and just focused in on the medical community. Uh, my niche was I had these, what I call mission critical PCs, and all they were, I was probably the first company in Charlotte to have black computers, like the black monitor, the black keyboard, the black mouse, and I positioned them as mission critical for the hospital space, and really started, uh, kind of, you know, I went from the local air networking to build my own brand of file servers, lot air networking, and then um, brought on a consultant, brought on a partner, and ultimately uh, sold my partner in 2000. And, and one of the things that, that's most interesting there is kind of seeing, seeing the need with something that's in your life, but actually doing something about it, right? Normally when, right. You, when you see people's journeys and even in the conversations Gary and I have had with different founders, founding your first company comes very late. So I was, I was in a similar position to you. I started my first one, when, the first one that I was able to sell when yeah. I was uh, a sophomore in, in college. Okay. And so for me, a lot of it came from the background of how I was raised and being around entrepreneurs at an early age and things like that. But what was it for you to actually have that mindset developed where you can see a problem and be able to say, this is something I'm going to take on myself and start a company instead of looking for somebody else that you can go work under for years? Well, I think for me it was, and it really still is to this day, is I look to see you know, who a core customer might be and what their issues are. And then what do I have within my control, my power, my domain expertise to actually solve that problem for that, that person or that company. And I think back in the back in the college days, you know, I can't tell you that it was some complicated, sophisticated scheme I had done. I was really trying to find a way to pay for college and solve a couple of problems and then just realize, hey, a lot of the folks have the same problem that I do. Um, back then, before Dell was Dell, you had to buy an IBM or Compact. These are very expensive machines. So I found a way to build one for two thirds the cost. Yeah. And then I had to learn how to go out and sell, which was probably the hardest thing I had to do because I was an accounting major. Now I'm trying to sell something, right? So now that was a whole nother learning curve. Yeah. But yeah, just, so you know, when you start your own company, it forces you to learn, at least be somewhat competent in a lot of different disciplines inside your business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be very single tracked with it. So not, not in the beginning. Yeah. So I know Gary, when he and I were talking before this, had a, had a ton to talk about with, um, the, the mountain bike experience and things like that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to let him talk a little bit about that and, and Peggy on some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that's just so fascinating about you, Robert, is, uh, your focus and your ability to, um, adapt and overcome and in your personal life, as well as in your business life, 
and uh, pretty much every entrepreneur that I know of and that you're working with has to adapt and overcome just in changing landscapes. We're seeing it especially this year. We've seen it in 2008-09 in particular with the Great Recession. We've seen it in different cycles, but this one's really different from everything else. And yet there are some similarities of, all right, so what are you going to do about it? Right. right. And um, so take us back to that journey of what was the aha moment when you were, I think, almost 40 at the time, right? When you decided you wanted to become the first mountain bike racer, was it, was it age 40? That was age 40, right. Yeah. Um, when you decided, I want to do this on a pro level, <laughs> which was a, unheard of, <laughs> but especially having to race against guys that are half your age. But then what you decided to do and some of the obstacles that came your way and how you adapted and overcame. Well, I think the first part there is I can remember the exact instant I decided I wanted to do it. I was actually at the, uh, the Duke Mansion. Uh, I remember this group in town called the Entrepreneurs Organization. So I was, I was there at one of, our, one of our, our learning events. A lady by the name of Andrea Wilder was there. She was our presenter. She goes by the America's Dream Coach. And she had us all basically ask um, just all a question. The question was, if you didn't have any kind of big constraints, you know, like didn't have a family constraint, you know, work constraint, kid constraint, what's one thing you want to do with your life that if you did, it would just be like the ultimate cool thing. So I sat there thought about it. I was like, well, you know, I've been mountain bike racing for a year or two kind of on the side. It'd be really amazing if I could turn pro in a mountain bike. Because at that point, I'd been 39, 40 years old. Nobody's ever done it before. But I thought it'd be really cool if I did that. And then what Andrew did is something really powerful. She asked us, and we were around the room, we all kind of shared our answers. The next thing she says, well, what are you going to do the next 30 days to put that plan into action? And so I thought about it. I was like, you know what? I was, you know, chair of Charlotte Works at the time. I was, you know, running a company, two kids, you know, young kids at home. All the constraints, right? And I said, well, the only way I can figure this out is i got to hire a coach. So I ended up hiring that, that month a strength coach and a cycling coach. And that ended up being my secret sauce as far as how do I actually make this thing happen. Um, so I started racing. I started with the coaching, started racing, started winning. And actually, uh, um, I think it was January 2011, I got a letter from USA Cycling saying that, you know, hey, you're, you're now pro. It was the scariest letter I've ever written. I saw that letter and almost threw up. It was the scariest thing. I actually did the impossible. Now I actually go race at pro level, right? So it doesn't mean I'm just done, right? Now I got to go do the work at the pro level. Um, and so what's, what's amazing is like, you know, four months, five months in, I'm ranked 13th in the country. So now I'm a 40-year-old racing these 19, 20, 21-year-olds. 20 ranked 13th in the country. Had the best race of my life on a Sunday. I got, you know, play, I played second on this big East Coast race. And then we had a local race on Wednesday in Charlotte on the easiest track. And on the easiest section of the easiest track, I'm leading out the race. I make a mistake, catch my pedal on a root and hit a tree and break my back in four places, break my L1 through L4. And this is like maybe four or five weeks before pro national. So my whole dream around, you know, becoming, you've been racing pro nationals was completely just squandered away. So that was, that was devastating. You know, the pain in the back hurt, but just this dream, I, I kind of lost a little bit hurt worse. And uh, anyway, I get back on the bike, start riding again, start racing again, start winning again. And then I'm in the gym with my other coach doing a medicine ball slam. And I do a medicine ball slam and actually blew out two discs in my neck. I had full spinal cord compression, nerve compression on my C5, 6, 6, 7. I go see local spine surgeons. They tell me, um, you know, based on your, your back injury and condition of your neck, we need to get, get you uh, a two-level spinal, cervical spinal fusion. Probably not going to ride a bike anymore. Probably not going to run, you know, run anymore. Kind of have a somewhat of a sedate life. I said, "There's no way," because, because my vision, my dream was to turn pro and go race pro nationals. I just was not ready to let that let that go. So the whole thing about how do you get around these obstacles, Gary? I think about that. I had this really vivid painted picture. I could see myself. I could I could you know I could smell the dirt. I I just had that picture in my head. And I'm having these really smart people tell me I'm not going to ride a bike anymore. And something in my, in my body just said, no, you can't do it. So I found the, probably the number one spine surgeon in, in, um, in the world, happened to be in Germany. So I fly over there out of my own pocket, 
and I got two artificial discs in my neck. So I did the surgery. That was a whole kind of scary experience. It's a whole nother story. I come back, start riding my bike again, racing again, winning again, and make it to nationals the, uh, the next summer. And the cool thing was that was the nationals where the, the top two became the top, the folks who raced in the Olympics. So I got to line up with uh, the Olympic folks in that race. So that, that was kind of a cool thing. But I think about that and not just my own story, but just you know, dealing with COVID stuff. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a family member, whatever, is we can still have our race pro and go race pro nationals vision on our head even as we navigate ourselves through this pandemic. And I think that's, that's the big answer, Gary, is that's, that's how we kind of get through this, is that we can't let go of our dream, right? There's never ever a direct path to get anywhere you want to go in life. So look, we can have this painted picture for ourselves on a personal level. If we can do it as entrepreneurs for our team, we can navigate a lot more stuff than we think we can. And I'm, just, I'm like just, you know, human proof of it. So um, one of the most beautiful parts of that story you haven't even talked about yet um and it talks about gratitude <clears throat> so describe what happened at that national race with those two uh guys that are going to go race in the olympics you get back against all odds broken back two discs replaced in your neck and you're you're back in the top what was it in the top 50 is that what it was oh yeah top 50 yeah yeah. So describe what happened in that race uh, for everybody else, because there's a big lesson there. Well, the first thing, I'm at the start. Of course, I lost all my pro points because I, I was out of, off, out of racing for a year. So I'm, I'm almost dead last out of 50. It didn't sound like a big deal until this race starts and the dust cloud. I mean, the amount of dust I ate in about the first 15 minutes, I can't even tell you what that was like. <laughs> anyway, we started doing the race. And basically what's happening is we're racing up a ski slope. Imagine you're at a ski slope. We're at um, Sun Valley, Idaho. I mean that really you go straight up a slope, which is the hardest thing you ever do, and you got to come down single track. There's wiggly, you know, single track on the way down. And it's probably maybe the fourth lap out of maybe a five, six lap race. I'm, I'm just cruising down, you know, I'm, I'm picking up some places a little bit. I'm cruising down the single track, and I just kind of go around this corner. You got to manage a lot of like craggy, sharp rocks in Idaho. I just sliced the sidewall on my tire. I mean, I, there's no fix. I mean, just the air blew out. I was completely on my rim, game over. And I, I just, and I sat there. And for whatever reason, I didn't get upset. I wasn't angry. Just what happened was the entire process of me going pro, getting hurt, coming back, you know, making it back to the lineup. It's just this huge feeling of gratitude that I was able to do that. But the cool thing was I'm on this really weird piece of the mountain that you can't really walk to very easy. And I had this amazing vantage point of the race. So I'm getting, I'm watching this race happen. I'm watching these guys go by me. And I'm sitting there thinking, what an amazing gift all this is. I actually get to experience this race the way I did. You know, um, here's the point that I love about that. And I hope everybody picked up on that. And that is, uh, especially as visionary entrepreneurs, we get this fixation on the destination. And um, sometimes we can, like what you were ex describing early on, where you could smell the dirt, you could yeah. see it all, right? But then the, the result isn't exactly what you had envisioned, right? You know, I know other people that would be throwing their helmets, you know, why did this happen? They'd be blaming the tire manufacturer. They'd be blaming uh, the course for having jagged rocks on the course or whatever, right? And just um, the thing that blew my mind when I heard that story from you for the first time was, wow, the power of gratitude and humility. Um, you know, just being grateful for the moment. You had overcome a lot of big stuff didn't see the result that you had envisioned, but you still made it, you know? Um, and you weren't there to just satisfy like, oh good, now I get to start and then <laughs> who cares what happens? Right, you right. cared, you wanted, you wanted to, to do well in that, that race and you were, and then life happened, you know, uh, jagged rock meets sidewall, right. jagged rock wins. It happens. But, it seems to me like that is a humongous lesson that adapting and overcoming 
you, you've taken that with you since then too. I mean, give us another example of where you had planned this or that, and then all of a sudden it didn't happen, but you've been able to adapt and overcome. Well, it's a good question because I'm thinking about pro nationals. That was the big training goal. But if I chunk it up a level, like the life goal was, is you know, healthy body, healthy mind, just racing in general is a healthy thing to do, I think, in my opinion. So and as a result, I won that race, but then overall it was a great experience. Um, so about two years after that race, I had some more complication in my neck where I really couldn't ride a bike anymore. Mm. I raced for another solid two years as pro, and then I couldn't ride the bike, couldn't train, um, and get a second surgery on my neck because I had some more nerve compression. And that was frustrating. And I think about overcoming things. So I actually went on a dirt bike ride with some buddies along the way, and I realized I can ride a dirt bike as many hours as I want to. So literally, I stopped racing the mountain bike and started riding off-road motorcycles like it's called it's called hair scrambles like imagine like a, a two three hour enduro race you're going through creeks and you're going through rivers and you're going through trees and fields i mean it's like you know imagine you know you're, you're basically racing a dirt bike on a mountain bike trail and so started from scratch when it signed up in the, in the sportsman class i got dead last i mean i was last off the line dead last in a race at about 200 people um go forward about two years i went from sportsman uh, went to C, went to B, now I'm A, I'm one level below pro. And I got second in my, in my race two weekends ago at, at a 40A pro, yeah, one level below pro. So, you know, it's just, had I not hurt my back and hurt my neck, I would not have the chance to do this on a dirt bike. And so almost glad I did have this injury because it changed my life in a lot of different ways. I learned some huge lessons about myself, overcoming things. Now I learned how to do off-road unicycling. I learned how to do this dirt bike stuff. Now I've got some young kids that are now mountain bike racing. Now I'm racing with them on the mountain bike and I did three races in the past couple months. So it's just a, it's an amazing thing. And actually, the funny thing is now I can actually ride the mountain bike again. So the doctors think that dirt bike is helping my neck. So now I'm racing wow. the mountain bike again. I'm back on podium on the mountain bike. So I'm doing these two. Now I'm doing, I'm doing both. So you can hear the, the appreciation and gratitude in within your journey, right? There, it's yeah. not the gratitude about the destination. It's the gratitude about the journey. Um, how, how important is the ability to be able to practice that, that gratitude or appreciation for what's going on in your life for, for business leaders, right? So for the people that you're working with, how important is that? And then how do you try and, convey that message to these people that are, that are running or, or leading large to mid-sized businesses? Well, I probably frame it in probably the spirit of culture. I mean, if you're running a company, the top things you got to do is make sure you have a, you know, an intentional and healthy culture mm -hmm. and just being grateful for what you have and, and taking some time to think about, you know, as an entrepreneur, we're so focused on the future, what's going to happen next revenue this quarter, next year, we often don't take a TV timeout long enough to kind of just celebrate what we've been doing the past quarter or the past year. And I think about that just being kind of grateful, just making sure you're celebrating the progress that you're making um, as, a, as a, an easy mechanism to kind of, you know, be grateful and, and be thoughtful with, with your team. It's, you know, entrepreneurs, we always look in the future, but as you work with our teams, you got to make sure we're kind of honoring where we've been as well. That's yeah, so um, for this is going to be a trivial question for anybody. Uh, I think we'll put this out there. So tell us what your nickname on the tour was and why. <laughs> I'm going to use this on, on the teaser. Well, I, think, I think it's the same. I don't think it's changed. It's called a silent assassin. And the funny thing is I didn't know that's what people called me. And so I go to pick up my bike from the bike shop one day. And I see the sticker on my bike that says Silent Assassin. I'm like, dude, what is this on my on bike? And they said, dude, you know, you're the nicest guy out there. You're saying please and thank you. When you pass somebody, you say, may I please come by on your left? You know, I just, you're the gentleman racer. Cause that's how I want, I want to be treated, you know, when I'm racing. So I'm just, I, I'm just very polite when I'm on, on the trail racing with folks. Um, Cause you, you show up, you're super nice and you go out and crush everybody and you shake your hand, you're done and you go home. But nobody ever sees it coming. 
You don't, see this, big, you don't see this big ego lineup on the thing and say, watch out for this guy, elbows up. You know, just I just kind of pull off the front and, and let her go. The, the 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 point behind that that I think there are a couple of things that I knowing you as well as I do that I think are really amazing and that is they shatter a lot of paradigms in the business world of you've got to be dog eat dog you've got to be a jerk to win yeah you are an example of just the opposite you can be highly competitive extremely focused but it doesn't have to be a zero sum game. I win, you lose. Right, right, right. And uh, I really appreciate that about you, Robert. So anyway, we'll, we'll use that. <laughs> 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 Go ahead, Ben. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's perfect. Um, so I want to uh, take the conversation a little bit more towards business because you've had what Gary and I were talking earlier or prior to the show of pivots right you've had different pivots in your career and and i know you're going to jump in and, and correct me on that so let's start <laughs> let's start there of of what when you hear the word pivot what does that bring up for you and then we'll dive into some of your experiences so it's funny i'm glad, I'm glad you asked that way when i hear the word pivot i almost have this negative physical reaction to that word because um, it's thrown out so much in general and through the pandemic we're in where you hear that word all the time and I just, I don't know that it's the right word. I know what the word means. Um, but I think about, for example, let's go back, just go back to the mountain bike versus the dirt bike example. I went from mountain bike racing to dirt bike racing. Did I, did I pivot? No, I got to use probably 80% of my unique ability in the mountain bike stuff. How to be present in the race, how to control the start, be aware of my body, be aware, make sure I'm breathing, you know, race tactics, all that kind of stuff. It mapped over to the, to the dirt bike. So outside looking in, you can say, hey, Fish pivoted from the, the mountain bike to the dirt bike. But in my mind, I really didn't do it. I got to leverage all the stuff I was, I kind of mastered in the mountain bike to the dirt bike. So I think a lot of the same thing happens in business is that when we say the word pivot, most people think I have to do something totally different. I have to do a complete pivot. And what really needs to happen is you can probably leverage a huge amount of core competency that you have, skill set that you have, people that you have, and do something adjacent or like an extension of your flywheel, so to speak and really take advantage of some huge opportunity right now. Um, so does it feel like a pivot? I feel like a pivot, you're, you're saying no to the past because you want to know the future. You know, it, it should be something just an extension of what we do. Now that thing that we do might end up really taking hold. And that thing might actually really scale the, and grow the company. You might sunset the other thing that never really feels like a pivot. Got it. So it's more, with how you're talking, what comes to mind as far as like the verbiage around it is more of, of shifting gears than it is of actually pivoting, right? Because right. you're, you're still using the same vehicle. You're using your past experiences. You're using your strengths. You're just applying it to something that is, that is may, maybe on a different track than, than what you were doing prior. So, so does, does that make right. sense? Am I hitting that right? Yeah, exactly right. It could be through the lens of you got a core customer or maybe you, redefine what your core customer is. And so you're now you're doing something different for another group. It could be you're doing something new for your same core customers, another bolt on to what you're doing product service. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be something tr completely dramatic, dramatically different. Yeah. And I think oftentimes it's dangerous to do that, to tell you the truth. Why is that? It's just a lot of risk. When you, if you really think about a true pivot, I mean, you can't really think in many companies have actually done a true, true pivot. And I would actually argue the ones who have done a pivot, if you look at their kind of their flywheel, what kind of makes their company really work under the hood, it really wasn't a pivot. It was an extension of their own flywheel. And an example everybody thinks about is, you know, um, Intel back when Andy Grove was, was running the company and they did the big pivot. The biggest pivot of all time was when they went from the microchip to the, uh, went from semiconductor to the microchip. To outside world, it was the biggest pivot of all time. But if you actually go listen to some of the interviews with Andy, he says, you know what? It was a natural extension of what we were doing. It just looked like a pivot to the outside world. So you got to imagine if you're on Andy's team, it probably wasn't as shocking and as scary as it was on outside looking in. Right. Yeah. So then let's, let's go to your uh, shifting of gears, not pivot. Yeah. Let's go to your shifting of gears from your, your staffing company to you founding Insight CXO. Yep. 
where was the need or the desire for that, that shifting of gears for you? So, so the way I did that was, you know, the cool thing there is, you know, you sell a company, you got a non-compete, I'm 42 years old, and I had the chance to kind of architect my life. I mean, it's kind of like this spot you, you don't want to be in, but you're, you're in it, so you got to ma maximize that thing. And so I asked myself some, some questions. The first question I was, I said, well, if I could build something from scratch, who do I want to spend time with? And that answer to that question was super clear to me. I want to be with entrepreneurs and typically founded entrepreneurs, small mid-market entrepreneur companies. That, that's who I want to work with. When I'm in the room with those folks, I have endless energy. It's just happy, healthy environment for me to be in. So that was, okay, now I had my, my core customer identified. Then I drew a circle around, you know, you know, my ideal core customer. You know, what are all the major jobs to be done by a CEO of a company? And literally start thinking about all the things, all the issues, all of the opportunities to run a company, things you got to deal with. And start start try to figure out what are the big issues and problems you have. And you know, it really comes down to team development, you know, culture development, working on strategy, working on execution, all these higher level things. Not so much with the work that you actually do to make money in your business, but actually how do you actually run your business is where most entrepreneurs get stuck. They're good at their craft, but they're not masterful yet on how to actually run their company. And so what happened was all of those arrows started leading to coaching. Right. And that's really what led me into coaching. So it was really like, who's my core customer? What are their issues? You know, a whole buyer persona kind of conversation. You know, what are their biggest things that they, they need? How does that match with my own personal core competencies, things that give me energy, things I've been really good at running these companies and scaling over the years and all the roads tied into coaching. So that's when I started Insight CXO and became a coach. And really, you know, it never was a side gig. It was just really, I decided to go in, you know, full court press and, you know, became a coach and uh, I never really looked back. Yeah. It, it's not so different than how you were describing the first business that you created, right? You, there was a need, you figured out who you wanted to work with, what that solution was. And you found how your strengths fit that to, to create a solution. Right. It's funny how that transitions throughout your entire career of being, being a theme. So you, you found that formula that works for you and then how to apply it to make sure you're, you're working with the right people. Yeah. Just for me, it's my, it's my favorite formula for success. You figure out who you, who you want to be working with, what are their issues? And then think about your product and service after that versus being a product, trying to find the, you know, instead of being a solution looking for a problem, right. go look for the problem and be the solution. Yeah. To me, it's way easier. And I see too many companies doing it in the reverse and they're just spinning the gears, spinning the gears, spinning the gears, getting frustrated. Yeah. That's, that's an extremely important point of find the problem and the solution versus create the solution and hope that it solves the problem. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to back up the, the, the sequence just a little bit because a lot of, uh, the listeners may not know that in the story so far uh, that you were also part of um, a 20 year old startup that's well known here in Charlotte that is a one of a couple of unicorns of a, over a billion dollar valuation but you were one of the original people that started Abbott Exchange and um, you saw in 2000 2001 in particular going uh, from starting this company that has become this juggernaut. Um, and there was a shift. There was a, and maybe it was a pivot. Maybe it was just a gear shift, a pretty dramatic gear shift. But take us back a little bit to, let's start with where it is now for anybody that doesn't know anything about Avid Exchange. But then, then where saw that you were solving and then the marketplace dynamics that shifted that took you in a different direction. Well, I think if, you, if you're not familiar with Ave Exchange, it's about 20 year old company founded here in Charlotte. And it's really one of the market leaders in the mid-market payment space. So if you're running a, you know, small, medium sized company, good sized company, and you're, you're spending a lot of stuff on all products and services, Avid helps you kind of get your arms around all of that spend. And they built a supplier network and a whole, whole nine yards around that. So they're doing really good in that, in that space. But back in the back when we started again, 
the idea came around in 99 and then in 2000, actually Mike Prager, the, one of the co-founders of Avid was in my EO forum, which is how the whole thing got, how I got connected in. And basically I just sold my company and Mike says, Hey, I got this idea about a company. Uh, didn't have a name yet. Can you help me write the business plan? So actually Mike actually hired me to help write the business plan for Avid Exchange. And in helping him write the business plan, like my, my, my part of the plan was biz dev and sales and marketing and uh, writing the plan for the, the company. I kind of found in love with it and became one of the, one of the co-founders. But when we started out originally, it was um, an online exchange. That's where the name Ad Exchange came from. It's an online exchange for commercial real estate. Because we're trading for on the market. They're going for about 100 to 1,000 times revenue valuation. Again, this is like pre-market crash. The valuations were insane. And there was almost no play whatsoever in the commercial real estate world at the time. And so we really focused on taking this exchange idea and really trying to go after that commercial real estate. And the way I have it started, we, we started, we went from an exchange, then we kind of, kind of did a, a small pivot or kind of an extension to basically not just being an exchange, but basically helping folks get some, get some visibility into the spend on, on their expenses. And the pivot really is actually owning the transaction from the payment perspective. So again, it looks like a big pivot on the outside, but it's probably, just a series of natural extensions on the inside. Now, a huge application, you know, they had to, you know, create a whole back end to get that done. That was a huge, huge lift. But the, the strategy piece of it was more of a, I think just more extensions of their flywheel more than like just a huge, huge pivot. Yeah, so one of the things, and I would encourage anybody to read this book called The Breakaway Move that, um, Ben talked about at the beginning of this thing because there's a lot of Robert's story in there um, and a lot of really practical questions and even uh, worksheets, etc. And it, it 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 is not a laborious read at all. It's very interesting, but lots of hugely practical experience. But one of the things in there, uh, you created a thing called the breakaway move and a series of ten questions. And uh, things that, that I think are probably, I think that 10 question summation is probably one of the most powerful things I've seen um, and asked any business person to think about when they're thinking about if they're stuck or if they're looking for opportunities. And one of those things is, is, is there a way that we can leverage uh, an existing infrastructure uh, to help get there and so here's the here's the thought that i want you to kind of extrapolate on you know you being the silent assassin you're more of an introvert than an extrovert right but yet you're an extremely effective uh business development person extremely um bright marketer you've got a great marketing mind in, in my opinion um but you also had some resource constraints early on at right. exchange. And yet you identified as one of those breakaway moves, this notion of, is there any way that we could partner with somebody or whatever? So I want to have you expand a little bit more on that notion where you're resource constrained, you're going after these bigger targets. How do we leverage options out there besides us spending a bunch of money on ads or whatever? Yeah. Great questions. So I think the, like the word you just said, Gary, I'll, I'll probably start with that. It's the word leverage. I don't care if you're a small company startup mode or you're an established company It's how can we create as much leverage as possible um, to, to grow and scale our companies? That's part of what we got to do. If I think about strategy, how do we, how do we create this leverage? So back in the early days of Avid Exchange, you know, we were still in the kind of friends and family round at the beginning before we started, you know, really getting the, venture, the big venture capital money coming in the door. And again, we're selling to this commercial real estate group, which is historically kind of a slow mover, you know, relationship driven, you know, that kind of stuff. And we call them up and they'd say, who are you? What do you do? Why do we need you? Never heard of you before. I mean, so I, I, I was thinking like this is going to be like a, a five year sales cycle. We don't, we're not, that's not even going to be possible. So, I go to one of these, one of these trade shows and I have this epiphany because I did, this is how I grew my first company too, was I actually would go and partner with these other software companies, partner with other groups. And my idea was, 
you know, me being an introvert and not so great at sales, like, you know, from a training perspective, um, how do I accelerate this trust relationship? How, how do I go from zero to 60 in five seconds with trust versus this five year process where I got to do branding and all this other kind of stuff. And so I figured out who the big players were in the space. And I basically was able to go to those players and say, Hey, why don't you partner with us? We'll, we'll be your payments platform for your software company. We'll just be a plug into what you do. Um, and then how about you guys introduce us to your clients and as a channel partner. And so we went from having, you know, just two of us kind of doing biz dev and sales, like this virtual 40 person sales team overnight. Cause basically we had a person who had a relationship. They're calling that person, that court, that customer. Hey, this is Robert Fish. He's got this thing. We like his stuff a lot. Um, you might have a, a talk with them. They say, absolutely. And then we can go do a deal. And oh, by the way, you already plugged into your software solution. Not a big deal there. And then we start taking off and to, to today still, that is the number one strategy that Ad Exchange has to really scale and grow on the client side and the, and the, and the bill payment side. It's like over three to 400 partnerships they've done now. And the original one is still in place. So I've done that with almost every company I've been involved with is I think about the word leverage. I think about how do I shorten this trust relationship? I did it with my first company, Sinatron, did it with Avid. Uh, did it with Integra, you know, partnered with ADP, partnered with other companies who already had relationships with my, my with my prospects. And how can we kind of create this channel, this symbiotic kind of partnership to where we're all, you know, we get introduced in at a strategic level and skip all the song and dance and, you know, the, the emails and all the other kind of stuff. We can get right to that, that person uh, pretty quick. So another thing that I want, and, and this is kind of unfair, Ben, because I know too much about this guy. No, that's <laughs> perfect. This is, everybody, I, I know some of the, All the listeners get the inside scoop, right? Because, you know, <laughs> you know the best. answer to a lot of these questions before you're even asking them. So it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I know some of the strings that I like to pull on this yeah. because, again, um, you know, Robert is, if, if I was personally going to go after a business coach for me. And I've had very expensive coaches, 10,000 bucks a day, a long time ago in 1990, but Robert would be my guy. Um, and it's not because he's on this program. It's because I've seen what he does in his deep dive, just with the same sort of laser focus um, and execution, what he did in the mountain biking world, as well as yeah. motor <laughs> motorcycle racing world. He's, he's done it in business. And so, Robert, talk about the program that, that you dove into initially with the whole Rockefeller habits, mastering the Rockefeller habits with Vern Harnish and all that. Talk a little bit about the difference between that and then you, you did a, a, a shifting of gears, if you will, oh, yeah. EOS, but then you've got other things that you've yeah. laid on it, whether it be you know the three hag way, some of the stuff that you've been doing in neuroplasticity. Um, that's where you, you bring this amazing arsenal of weaponry, but talk a little bit about some of those programs and the uniquenesses and the strengths and weaknesses of how you've layered those things together because a coach is not a coach out there. You know, there are a lot of people that have coaches by their names and they may have gotten an accreditation and spent 30,000 bucks to get accredited, but they came yeah. out of corporate America and they've never done what you and you <laughs> and Ben and, and Robert and what I've done either, where you've, you know, had to call the non-existent into existent and you know what it's like to make payroll at your expense. Um, you know, so talk to us a little bit about that, Robert. Well, it probably goes back to my first company, Sinatron. Again, this is before, you know, Google, you could Google stuff. My dad's a banker. He was zero help to me. Great man. Not any help at all on entrepreneur front. And I, I really felt like I squandered a lot of my twenties socially because I was, you know, Friday night I'm doing payroll. I'm doing everything the hard way. I had no idea there was other resources available to me as an entrepreneur. So when I joined this EO group back in um, 99, 2000, what happened was I was exposed to all the stuff that was built to help entrepreneurs. So I, I kind of fell in love with, uh, I guess this category I call like a, like an organizational operating system. So we're all kind of, you know, I was good at building computers. I wasn't good at running a company. I did okay. Cause it was out of pure effort, blood, sweat, and tears. So I kind of discovered this category called, I call like the organizational operating system, which and that's where I'll put in 
you know, the Rock Habit, Scaling Up, um, EOS, Three Hagway. There's a whole lot of great ones out there. Um, it's really as an owner of implementing one of these operating systems. So your, your company runs better, communication is better, you have intentional culture, you know, you can work on your vision and you can get that vision down to the front lines. It's so important. And so what I've really been doing is I got really involved with, uh, with scaling up on the board with scaling up, you know, and then, um, as I'm working with clients, you know, I'm saying, okay, we got this great strategy in place. We're moving things forward. I feel like there was an execution piece missing. Couldn't quite put my finger on it. And that's when I discovered EOS the entrepreneur operating system and just really fell in love with how EOS is really good at getting everybody on the same page with vision, really making sure you got the people component of your business really dialed in, right people, right seat, that you're running on data, all the issues are, are, are really evident and clear what they are, and you've got this whole company on this 90-day this rhythm where you're looking back previous quarter, kind of being grateful about what we've done, learn from our mistakes and our wins from past quarter, plan the new quarter, and then, you know, keep rolling that every, every 90 days. So I kind of put that all in that kind of theme of this organizational operating system. So I think every entrepreneur needs to pick one and really run on it. And so Gary, what, what I'm fascinated with is, you know, we all want to grow our companies and scale our companies, but the problem is we have this good idea, but there's so much noise day to day. There's so much drama, so much stuff going on day to day. We don't have time to go do that work. None of mental or time energy left in the, in the day to do that kind of work. And then, the reason I love the EOS and scaling up operating systems is when you get those implemented all the way and really get it working, what happens is it frees up all this capacity to work on your company versus in it. You actually get this time to think about strategy and think about your company past the one year. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs do. They, they have this, this annual mindset. They call annual planning strategic planning and it's not, it's just execution planning. And they're really just trying to, iterate your same company over and over again. How you can do the same thing better, faster, cheaper. How can we squeeze out a couple more points in the bottom line? But it's really the same business and they don't have enough bandwidth to really think about the future. How can we really be intentional about strategy, whether it's a shifting gear, whether it's a pivot, whatever you want to call it, there's no real time to go do it. And there's no time to get it done if you didn't have the great idea anyway. So that's what I've been doing, Gary. I've really kind of been putting together this, 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 this system where you get this, this operating system in your company, all your day-to-day is really running like a top. There's no drama. You go home, you have energy left in your day. And, and at that point, we start thinking about these big strategic moves that we could implement in the future to really scale and grow the company. But, you know, you're, you're extremely well-read uh, as, as well, which is another thing I love about you. You're a lifetime learner. Um, and if somebody is unfamiliar with scaling up, unfamiliar with uh, entrepreneur's operating system, unfamiliar with three hag way, et cetera, and some of these organizational operating systems that you've talked about. Do you have any books? Well, first of all, I would say, <laughs> I've read a lot of those books, thanks to yeah, you. Yeah. But the breakaway move, if you want to get into um, the meat of a great story and stuff that you can implement without it feeling super laborious. Um, I would start actually with breakaway move. It's, it's one book that I've read three times yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, oversubscribed. I've read twice, which yeah. is one of my favorites. Thanks to Ben McDonald. But um, besides breakaway move, are there other books that if, if somebody's saying I need to look into uh, operationalizing this, where would you lead them to? Well, I think my book's a great book to, uh, to lead into it. It's got three parts to it. Part one is, you know, how do you, how do you create a great team, intentional culture? Part two is how do you create a really good strategy? And I've got those 10 questions that I've used over and over again throughout the years. I got good examples of what those 10 questions are to kind of open up your mind on how you can think about leverage a strategy. And the third part of the book is, is really how do you make that that lead stick. If I'm going to be in the front of a mountain bike race, how do I make that lead stick? So it's about execution. So I've got a nice thing I call 13 week sprint, how to get your company on this 90 day world. I call it 13 week sprint to get the stuff done. Probably the second favorite book I had was probably read the book traction by Gino Wigman. That seems to resonate with most entrepreneurs most of the time. Just a really good kind of very practical, almost paper pencil, simple for the most part of a way to get your company and get everybody on the same page of where you're going to go and exactly how you're going to get there. 
so that's probably my, my, my second choice book would be is, is read the book traction. Yeah. I like that. And the other, the other book I think is really good right now is good to great. I mean, just everything that Jim has written about, it probably is even applies more today than it did 10, 20 years ago when he first wrote it. Yeah. That's an unusual uh, story in a business book in particular to have as much, if not more relevance 20 years later than when it was written. Right. Yep. Yeah. So when you're talking about all these operating systems and just picking one with the organizations that you work with, I, I, I know that that's a big part of it, right? You're yep. a certified EOS implementer and things like that. So as you're implementing these operating systems and companies, what's the shift that you see, whether it's from productivity or culture or whatever it is, what are those shifts that you're seeing as they're implementing them? and it's starting to, to become a more efficient organization? Probably the first thing is I see that actually building a cohesive team. Um, I, I feel like teams that I come into, most of them, they can be great people, a great company, but it's more, it feels more like a work group than a team. So really getting everybody on the same page or we're try, trying to go with the business and how we're going to get there, just getting some cohesion around that is very powerful. Getting them on this planning rhythm once a quarter and really starting to prioritize time and energy towards getting some of these more strategic things done inside the business. And again, it's almost like this flywheel. They have the first quarter they do it, they get some stuff done. They realize, hey, I've, I've got an extra three hours of my week now because I solved all of these, these chronic issues in the past that we can never really get our heads around. Yeah. What happens is we start solving all these chronic frustrating things and make working not fun. And it starts to create this, this new space for things they always wanted to do but never had time to go do it. So it's, it's fascinating. So, you know, I've got my companies on a platform. They're all doing great going to COVID. Everybody was shocked back in March and April. Uh, all my clients came through it really, really fast. And I think if you were to ask, line them up all on a, on a, on a wall, the word you would hear out of almost every single one of them would be the word grateful. They were grateful they have this operating system in place because it made navigating the pandemic so much easier. Yeah. And it, I would say most of them are in a better place now than they were in March and April or pre pre pandemic. That's pretty amazing. It is. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Robert, one of the things that I know about you too is, and you've mentioned it a couple times in this podcast, and that is um, the impact of your EO forum or entrepreneurs organization forum. Is that what EO is? Right. That's right. Yep. So um, what, what do you recommend for, um, other entrepreneurs who are out there, uh, as you know, and all three of us know, uh, running a company is probably the loneliest position there is. Even though you're with people, you're carrying a lot of weight and it can be extremely lonely. Um, yep. what, what do you recommend um, for entrepreneurs out there that you know need somebody else as a sounding board or just as a group? I mean, you've got... EO, you know, Entrepreneur Operating System or Entrepreneur's Organization. You've got YPO, Young Presence Organization, Vistage, Renaissance. I mean, there's a, there's probably 10 or 20 really good ones. And I would just say, if you, if you really don't have the, the best experience running the company, you need to be involved in some, some kind of a peer group that's outside of your business where you're just getting some gut checks and you're with people that kind of know you on a personal level. It's almost like having a, um, like a, a more directors for your life, not just for your business. So they're really tuned to, as you're making decisions, you know, are these good decisions for your life, not just your, your wallet, not just, not just your business, so to speak. So my advice, Gary, would just really just be, you know, ask around, you know, you can do a Google search and find some people, just get out and start talking to people and see what kind of group you connect with. You can, you know, you can do, you know, write a check and go join a group, join a forum. That would be a good one. There's a lot of folks kind of get together on their own and kind of create their own kind of a, uh, you know, your own group around, you know, it could be an industry group. You know, if you're in the marketing industry, there's all kinds of marketing groups. If you're, you know, you're on a car dealership, there's tons of car dealer groups. Just, just find something kind of group you can kind of plug into and then try to stick with it. Yeah. And one of the things that I've also seen um, is it's important to have that group, but oftentimes that group, cannot take the place of a, an outside the jar uh, yeah, yeah. coach 
to be really able to help them see strategically and give them the tools and the confidence that they actually really need there. So talk a little bit about that too, because if I remember right, most of our clients, when we were both running together, most of them were also involved in peer-to-peer groups, whether it be mastermind groups. Still the case. Most, almost all my clients run a peer-to-peer group. If they're not, I want them to get in one. Um, to me, it's just a very healthy thing to do. And the more outside perspective you can get, the better. But I think if you're part of a, a peer group, um, you're getting, you're learning from your peers. Sometimes if it's a vicious type group, there's content coming at you. Um, but the reality is you, the entrepreneur, are in this group. You might be with them you know, for a full day, half day. You learn this cool stuff. You know, in your Monday meeting, you got 10 minutes to regurgitate what took you a whole hour to learn. And you kind of just throw up on your team a little bit. And they say, this sounds great. And they're like, okay, this is flavor of the week idea. I'm just not going to talk about it for a couple of weeks and maybe this thing just goes away. So sometimes there's a bigger burden sometimes placed on the CEOs learning all this stuff and they can't really operationalize outside the company where a coach comes in, they can leverage all that and actually help you get some of that stuff done. Or, you know, working with a coach, like what I do, I mean, you know, a lot of my work is kind of quarterly planning sessions, like full day sessions. I actually work with the team to implement all these things that are learned versus just the CEO having to figure out how they're going to feather this thing into their current business and make it stick. But I think that the combination of the two is very, very powerful. Because I think, I think the, the, the reason I think it's powerful, Gary, is just it's that word confidence. I mean, you got to think about the world we live in right now. We have so much information coming at us from all kinds of different directions. Um, even if our, our companies are doing well right now, we still see you know, GDPs up and down. We have elections coming, you know, all this kind of just civic stuff going on around us and it shakes confidence. I mean, how do you know how to invest? Do you hire, do you, you know, you do let it ride and see and having some outside perspective and some of that group think, so to speak, can really help you get a, a more clear of what reality is. And so you just start making better decisions and making, you know, better decisions faster. So you, I want to start wrapping this up because what you just did there is you, you started and finished with, confidence, right? And being able to right. impact others okay. of that. So, yeah. so I want to ask one final question associated with that. You, we've got a lot of business leaders and business owners that listen to this. Um, for those that are, are experiencing uh, what we're going through and running a business at the same time, and we're, we're talking a lot about shifting gears or pivoting or things like that, yeah. what, what final advice can you leave to them as, as people continue to try to navigate coronavirus, recession, elections, all of this uncertainty, um, uh, whether they're trying to shift gears or just trying to steer the ship of an organization? Well, one thing my clients are doing a good job of right now, again, we have so much outside influence more than ever. And it makes us kind of almost paralyzed sometimes. I really had them really think about their company and their own numbers. Like don't pay too much attention to the stock market or GDP or unemployment rate. Yes, that's is that part of the equation. Yes, but really think about like your own company scorecard. And I mean scorecard, I don't mean like your financial stuff. I mean all your lead indicators. If you're really trying to figure out what are your five to 10 major lead indicators of your business that are almost always activity based and let that be your GDP. Let that be, let that be your home base. Let that tell you what's coming around the corner and don't let, you know, a news media channel tell you what's going to happen next. Really look inside. And so I think my clients are doing so well because they trust their, their data. They trust their lead indicators. They've done a lot of work to figure out what those things are. Um, and that's really been the most helpful thing. You, you know, yeah. cash is important, profit is important, and all that stuff. But I want to know is what are those things that help me predict that? Yeah. What are those we five to ten really activity-based lead indicators? Yeah, we got to be, we got to get really good at being these prediction machines. That's really when I think about the reason you want to have a strong team, a strong team has ability to predict. And it's like a muscle. You got to work with that thing all the time or you get actually really quick. But yeah. what are the five to 15 numbers that you run on, on that you're tracking these things weekly? They have weekly goals. And if they get off track, we're going to have a, a nice conversation on how to get that thing back on track really quick. Yeah. It's fantastic. Thank you so much for, for being on here and sharing that. There's, I am running out of space on my second page of notes. So, so thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all that. 
we're, we'll send people to, uh, uh, to be able to, to check out the company's website and, and follow you on, on LinkedIn, things like that. Okay. Um, we'll also put, uh, something out there for people that want to, uh, to, to get your book as well. Um, so is there anything we're missing any place that you specifically want people to go for you? No, the website's good. InsightCXO.com. That's, that's my the main spot. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Well, well yeah. this uh, did not disappoint as I knew it wouldn't. Um, you were awesome as always, Robert. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and your schedule to uh, join us. And hopefully all the listeners that are on this thing and listen to it will gain some good insights and, and nuggets. And if anybody needs any sort of a character validation and um, effectiveness validation, you better ping me uh, and you can find me on LinkedIn or GFREY at trustbgw.com and I will be happy to vouch for Robert. Uh, he's a gem for sure. So uh, thank you everybody for taking your time. Thank you, Ben, for exceptional questions and uh for joining us on this journey everybody thank you hope you have a great day thanks again robert thank you thanks gary thanks ben thank you